Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. The question I want to answer in this series for the next few weeks is, what does it take to see a move of God? Like, what does it take to see something where God unmistakably works, where you walk away and your only, your only thought is, the only words you can utter is, only God. Like, I can't take any credit for that. Like, what does it take to see that kind of supernatural, only God could have done this in our marriage, in our neighborhood, in our city, through our church? Like, how does that happen? And what I want to talk about for these next couple of weeks is it happens through blood and thunder, and I'll explain. Um, and all throughout Scripture, you see this reference to thunder as God's power and God's authority. In fact, really in all of like ancient uh, mythology, you see this idea. So like um, the Greek god of thunder is who? That's disappointing. The Greek god of thunder is who? I heard it in the back. No, no, no. The Greek god of thunder, I'll try it one more time. The Greek god of thunder is who in Norse, myth- Norse mythology? Thor, right? I mean, you're making me second guess myself. Like, I have that right, don't I? It's Thor, correct? In Norse mythology, it's Thor? Okay, you guys are making me feel really insecure up here. I thought, like, everybody knows that. Maybe it's just because I have three boys. But in Norse mythology, Thor is the god of thunder. And so there's, in mythology, there's this idea that he had this, and I don't understand this part, a donkey-drawn chariot, with, which, like, if you're, like, why a donkey? Like, that's, that's the equivalent of, like, a herd of cats. Like, like why would you pick a donkey? But anyway, a, a donkey-drawn chariot that, as the chariot moved, that would create thunder um, in ancient mythology. That would come from Thor, and that's where we get that from. But all throughout um, ancient mythology and fairy tale, you see this idea of God um, being related to thunder, but you actually see that in the Old over and over again, that one of the ways that God would signify his power was through thunder. In Exodus 20, 18, um, Moses goes onto the mountain, if you know the story, and lightning rains down and thunder rains down and the mountain fills up with smoke as evidence that God is here, like God's power, God's authority, God's might. In Psalm, David writes it like this. I think it'll be on the screen at either campus. Psalm 29, 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters, and the God of glory does what? Thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. And can I just say this? I don't know where you're at with a God thing. When stuff hits the fan in your life, that's the kind of God you want. You don't want mullet God who's petting a sheep, olive-skinned, really meek, really mild, the kind of the God that we picture a lot of times in regard to Jesus. You want a God of thunder who is the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the great I am. He begins stuff, he ends stuff, not only in your life, but in terms of all of creation. And when stuff hits the fan, you don't want a God who you can understand or figure out, who's really meek, really mild, really soft-spoken. You want a God over all of the waters, the God that commands nature and nature 
nature obeys, the God that raises dead people, the God that causes you to bow in his presence to go, I don't know what you're doing, but I know who you are. I know, who you, I know that you are in control. I know you are the God of the universe. And so I'm going to submit my life to you in this moment where everything is flying out of control. I just tell you, you want a God of thunder when things start to unravel in your life. And that's the God that exists. And you see this all throughout the scriptures. There's no more powerful picture than at the crucifixion where Jesus is breathing his last on the cross. And what you see in that moment, that is such a powerful picture of not only what was happening in that moment, but everything that was going to happen after that. But as Jesus is breathing his last on the cross and saying, it is finished, the, gr- the sky grows dark, the earth begins to quake, and thunder begins to permeate that whole region Because it was evidence that in that moment where it seemed like God was powerless, God was actually showing off the full weight of his power. And thunder was evidence in that moment that when Jesus said it is finished, it is actually finished. That shame, guilt, and condemnation were going to be taken away forever. And what Jesus did on the cross, that check paying for our sins didn't bounce. And he was going to walk out of a grave alive. And it was going to change all of humanity. And when the thunder rolled down at the crucifixion on Golgotha, it was this evidence that death really had been defeated. That death would not win. And that ultimately Jesus would rip away the keys to death hell in the grave and one day he's coming back not on a donkey but on a white horse with a sword and tattoo on his side to handle all of injustice every wrong to make everything that went off the rails right and he will set himself up as the ruling and reigning king over death over hell over the grave and in that moment on the cross the thunder was a picture that everything is going to change and Jesus is exactly who he says he is he's a god of thunder he's over everything And here's the thing about thunder. We all respond to it, right? Like you can give me the most masculine man you can imagine. Like he will scream and run away like a middle school girl if he's out in the middle of a field when it starts thundering and lightning. Am I right? Like thunder is just, it makes you feel small. It puts you in context. Like it's, you can't control it. You can't harness it. You can't really predict it. There's a mystery to it. Thunder is just beyond you. Now, I did because, you know, It's just fun to do. I did search and find out that you can buy thunder generators. So this is stuff I have my assistant do. Like, hey, can you go find me something that makes thunder? And so she did. So check this out real quick. Let's see if I can do this right. I didn't. Hold on. That's pretty cool, right? I'm going to do it one more time because I've been wanting to do this for several weeks. I've just had this sitting in my office. My kids are so annoyed because I just walk around playing with this. All right, one more time. Come on, give it up. That's pretty legit right there. I... But as, as pretty cool as that is for um, $14.95 or whatever it was, like... It pales in comparison to actual thunder. Thunder is just, it is incontrollable. It's beyond you. It makes you feel really, really small. My point is, all throughout Scripture, thunder is God's might, God's power, God's authority over everything. And then the other thing you see in Scripture is this idea or this picture of blood. And I was super excited about my thunder generator. Not so excited that they won't allow you to have real blood. Um, Who knew? So this is going to... This is going to do. But all throughout Scripture, you see this picture of blood. And blood is literally um, in Leviticus 17, 11, it says this. For the life of the body is in its what? In its blood. That literally serving and sacrificing, specifically for a follower of Jesus, 
literally is, a, is pictured through blood. That in the Old Testament, everything was done through blood. You would go um, to the Old Testament temples and you would offer bulls and goats and blood sacrifices because you needed blood to be able to atone for or pay for or cover sin. And then Jesus shows up on planet earth and the scripture says that Jesus was the final sacrifice for all of sin. In Hebrews it says, basically, paraphrase, he put his feet up and said, it's finished. There's not gonna be need, need to be any more offers of sacrifices again because I was the final sacrifice for all of sin, past, present, and future. And so now if you place your faith and trust in what Christ has done, you literally are a living sacrifice, the scripture talks about. That the blood pumping through your veins veins is a sacrifice as you go, God, God, I'm surrendering my entire life to you. I'm surrendering my will to you. Your will be done in me. So that literally your life and what you do with your life and what you do with the things that have been placed in your hands to steward in this life, they are all a sacrifice. And my point in all of this is this, and you see it throughout the scripture, that you have a responsibility in what God wants to do in your life. We have a responsibility in what God wants to do through the local church in our generation. And it's not one or the other. Like a lot of us fall prey to this, well, I'm just going to let go and let God. And that's great. And I understand the thinking in certain cases. But a lot of times, that's the last thing he's asking you to do. What he's asking you to do is, hey, the thing that I put in front of you that I'm asking you to surrender toward, I want you to do that. The thing where you need to hustle, the thing where I'm asking you to grind, the thing where I'm asking you to step out in faith, the area that I want you to surrender to me and do it differently because my ways are better, I want you to give me that thing in your life. It is not always this passive activity and the scripture is really really clear when you are willing to offer your life and offer your body as a living sacrifice to go God it's all yours uh, the blood pumping through my veins everything that you've given me when you give that to God it is an invitation for God's power and when you do what only you can do God will come to do what only God can do he will bring the thunder to work in your life in your family in your circumstance in our church in our generation in ways that we could never imagine, but it requires both. You need to offer you, you need to offer what God is asking you to do. We as a church need to offer us, we are a living sacrifice. God, your will be done. And the moment we are willing to do that, God's power, God's might, God's activity is on display. But it's not one or the other, it's both. It's not, hey, I'm gonna do everything I can do thinking that somehow I'm gonna produce supernatural results. No, at the end of what God's calling me to surrender, that's the moment to rest, to go, God, if you're really gonna do anything that matters for eternity, now it's up to you. You gotta do what only you can do. I'm gonna bring the blood, I'm gonna bring the sacrifice, I'm gonna bring the surrender, I'm asking you to bring the thunder. You know the thing that you find throughout the New Testament that is at the core of this? And you may resist it, or this is not the thing that's taught a lot of times, and so that's why I'm going to spend several weeks on it, that the thing that is the catalyst for this, that, it's, that is at the heart of the sacrifice the Scripture talks about, that really kind of ebbs into everything else in your life, is the issue and the, the um, idea of generosity. That as you go all the way back to the first century, the thing that began a movement of God, the, began, the thing that began to change the first century, the thing that began to move these little ecclesias, these little gatherings forward in such a way that it began to change everything, was around the issue of generosity. 
that they were willing to surrender their lives to the point of actually giving up their lives, but they were willing to surrender the things that were at the core of their security and the things that were most, that were toughest to give up and to surrender. And they would go into villages and they would risk their life when the priests were cutting and running to go, we're going to try to nurse these people back to health. They would rescue babies from dung hills that were discarded, specifically female babies. They would give out of their poverty to plant churches all over the Mediterranean rim. They would risk their lives to go against the Roman Empire and the impression of the Roman Empire, and they gave everything, and God began to work in such a way that it changed the first century. It upended Rome, and the church began to expand all over, not just the Mediterranean rim, but all over the globe. Because they had this one idea in mind, and this is really ultimately where it's going to go to quote Andy Stanley. Everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. See, that's the essence of generosity, not, well, I think the Bible says, no, no, you don't even need the Bible says. Sexuality, well, I think it says something about sex and we should, you know, you don't even need a verse for that. Well, I think that I should, no, no, no. The ethic that Jesus left us was, I want you to love other people the way that I have loved you. I want you to be generous to other people the way that I have been generous to you because when you are, you are most like your heavenly father. And the reason it's a big deal is because what? This is deep, you should write this down. Because of how it helps somebody else. Jesus is like, that's why I want you to do it. The reason I want you to handle your sexuality in a way that lines up with my word is because when you don't, it hurts you. And when you don't, it hurts somebody else. And I don't want you to hurt my kids and I don't want you to hurt you as one of my kids. You're made in my image. So I want you to follow me. And I'm just telling you, when you surrender the areas that are toughest to give up, that's where God begins to move in a powerful, powerful way. So here's what we're gonna do over these next couple of weeks that we do every year. Yeah, I'll give you a chance to just put your hands together for a second. Is that on December the 8th, and we've done this for um, a number of years now, is going to be our For Our City offering. And it's going to remind us and it's going to call us to action in regard to what God wants for you individually and for us as a gathering in a group of churches. And it's not just this time period that I'm most concerned about as a pastor, our staff is not most concerned about. It is anchoring in us a vision for what God has for our lives and the fact that if you can surrender in this area, if we as a church can surrender in this area, it is an invitation for God's thunder to move in and through us in ways that we have never experienced. Because when you do what is closest to the heart of your heavenly father, and when you surrender what is closest to the heart of your perceived security, God gets your heart and God gets your devotion, and what God wants more than anything else is your heart and your devotion, and when he has your heart and your devotion, that's an invitation of God. I am giving you me as a living sacrifice. Move and work in our churches, and move and work in my life in such a way that we will never be the same again. And then the other side of it is what God's gonna do in the lives of other people around us, because the ethic of the New Testament is this. I want you to do good for those who can't and won't maybe ever do anything good for you. I want you to do that spiritually. I want you to build churches and create children's environments, invite people in to go, listen, we're footing the bill because we want you to know Jesus. And physically, we're gonna provide real needs. We're gonna move into our community, but we're gonna do good for those who can't and won't do anything good for us. 
I love because as you look at the um, narrative of the New Testament, this is like the core of everything Jesus introduced. In fact, I love in Luke, Luke is like the guy that you should read if you're skeptical and you have questions about this. And we have so many that tune in and listen um, and attend that are right in that place. And I love that you are. You should start with Luke because Luke's a guy that was highly educated. He's like, I thoroughly investigated stuff. I put together a chronological order of Jesus' life. I interviewed eyewitnesses. I anchored it to dates and to places into people because I just wanted you in the first century to fact check. And in Luke, specifically Luke 3, he introduces this character that's like the forerunner for Jesus. Like he's the garage band before the main show and the main act shows up. You know who I'm talking about? The guy by the name of John the Baptist. Um, who's probably never been referred to as a garage band before until now. But he's the guy that's like, hey, I'm getting ready for the Messiah, for the promised Jesus, the guy that's going to change everything. And it's really interesting because he is mentioned in the Quran. Um, Josephus, a secular historian, mentions him in his writings, meaning there is no reputable secular thinker that doesn't believe that John the Baptist lived. He's a real dude um, in the first century. And so Luke writes to go, hey, listen, John, the, John is the guy that came to get everybody prepared for a move of God, to get everybody ready for what God is going to do through Jesus. And in one particular, um, in this particular passage, it talks about the fact that everybody is coming down to the riverside to hear John preach. He's popular. People are flocking to him by the thousands. And in Luke 3, 1, um, Luke writes this. And here's the other thing about it. John was just, John's like the guy ultimately you want to be, I feel like. Most people probably wouldn't say that because he was crazy. Like he wore animal skin and he ate roaches uh, or locusts, but same thing. It's basically roaches. He's a little eccentric. But what I love about John, he's just like, I don't care. Like he would just get in the face of religious leaders all the time. Like whatever, you get brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. Like I, like, I just want to be that guy. I don't want to end up the way John did, which was his head lopped off at the end of his life. But I love his just like, whatever, I'm just going to tell you what I think. And so Luke 3.1, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and Luke's like, I'm just putting that in there because you can go today, even 2,000 years later, you can see where he lived. And then when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, again, first century, Luke's like, go check my sources. Verse 2, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the desert, the guy that we popularly refer to as John the Baptist. And he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Real quick, I don't have time to land on this. The, the better Greek translation is preaching a baptism for repentance and for the forgiveness of sins. One of my pet peeves, I'll just go real quick, is people violating the law of perspicuity, which just means you take one verse out of context, you build an entire theology around it. That's what gets you drinking Kool-Aid on a compound really, really fast. Right? So, like, you just can't do that. And, and the Greek translation is much more clear. And the rest of the New Testament and all of the Old Testament is really, really clear. So what it's not saying is being baptized for the forgiveness of sins. That is very clear throughout the Scripture that it is by faith. It's through grace. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. You can't do anything to earn it, and you can't do anything to keep salvation. It's all what God has done for you through Jesus. And so... They, they would go down preaching John a baptism for repentance, for the forgiveness of sin, meaning it is baptism after repentance and trusting in this, really this invitation for what Jesus was going to do. And then Luke pulls out of the narrative basically in verse 4 and says, here's what Isaiah predicted hundreds of years ago. Here's what Isaiah predicted hundreds of years before this in verse 4. As is written in the books of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice 
of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him, talking about Jesus. And basically, John's here to get people's attention and get people ready for what God's about to do. And there's a preparation process. There's something that you have to do to invite ultimately what God wants to do. And so in verse seven, skip down, John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, and this is, this is John, man, this is what I, I kind of love about him. You brood of vipers, welcome to church. You brood of vipers, you can take a seat right here. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Okay, John. And listen, just real quick, here's what John's saying, and this is somewhat offensive, so I understand this, but this is the beauty, though, of what Jesus is offering is that all of us feel this natural inclination that there needs to be outpouring of wrath for certain sins. It's just that we love to create degrees of sins. But anytime somebody abuses a child, and if you're a father specifically, you want wrath to rain down because it's the image of God inside of you, that sin demands it. The only problem is God sees all sin the same way and it all demands justice, it all demands wrath. But here's the beautiful news that John's beginning to unpack is either you get God's wrath or Jesus gets it for you. But Jesus wants to get it for you. (laughs) And through your faith and trust in what he's about to do, it's gonna change everything so that you're not under wrath, not under condemnation, not under sin. You are free. And even if the rest of your life looks like a mess, you're gonna stand face to face perfect before Jesus because it's on the basis of what he did on the cross, not how you lived your life. And so John's like, listen, You need to know this, though, verse 8. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, meaning a change of mind. Like, I want to follow this. I want to get ready for what God's going to do. And and John's basically just like this, and it's it's pretty in your face. But he's like, listen, don't just say you believe stuff. Don't just feel stuff. Don't just lift your arms and worship and cry tears. That's great. I love that you feel it. Don't just intend to do something in the future. Don't simply attend a service. It goes way beyond that. If your heart is really moved, God's going to do something through you. Ultimately, God's going to begin to spark something in you. Ultimately, God's going to move you at a level where you're not satisfied with where you're at and you want to surrender the very blood coursing through your veins. That's what it means to get ready for what God wants to do in your generation and what God wants to do in your life. And he says, and don't begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, meaning don't hide behind your heritage. Don't hide behind your upbringing. Like, this is a big deal for me. This is why I say this in so much love. With everything that's facing you in culture, day to day, week to week, you are crazy to not have your kids and CC kids every single week. You're crazy. I love you. You're, you're crazy to make it a once every six week activity because here's what I know about my kids. I have to parent in such a way that ultimately I can't lead them to a place where I can change their heart. But here's what I, I know, that I have to lead them to a place to the best I can, God can do something in them and ultimately they can own their faith because they're not getting any extra credit for me standing on a stage. They don't get any extra credit for being my kids. In fact, it may be a liability. Like they need Jesus and they need a personal decision to embrace Jesus as their personal savior. And everything I do with my parenting is moving in that direction that hopefully I can set a kindling around them and then Jesus lights it on fire and does something in their heart. And so he's like, don't hide behind your heritage for I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham, meaning like the story of who you're related to is no more valuable than a rock. It means nothing. What your grandmother did, it means nothing. It's about you. 
In verse nine, the ax is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And some of you are like, that's exactly what I grew up with when I was a kid. Like I'm relating to John the Baptist. But John, John's just like, listen, your love for Jesus, it may not be legit. Like it may not be like what you think it is. And in verse 10, people, as they're hearing John, they start to realize, like, we, we might just be playing a sociocultural game. We might just be showing up and, and doing what everybody else does. And yes, like, there's a, there's a love for God out here, but it, it hasn't made a huge difference in our lives. And we're, it's easier for us to settle for just like, yeah, I believe that. The tour is amazing. Yes, I feel that. Yes, I want to do that. Yes, I intend to do that. But it's not making a lot of difference in our life. And John's like, if you really want to be ready for a move of God, if you really want to bring the blood that's going to invite the thunder, you have to go beyond where you're at. And so all the people that are listening to John are like, we want to be in on this. We want to be ready for God to do something in our generation that only God could do. And so this is the question that they asked. I love this. What then should we do? The crowd asked. If we want to get ready for God, for a move of God, for God to do the unthinkable, well, what do we need to do? It's not what you think, and it's generally not what we preach. Here's what he says in Luke 3.10. I love this verse. Go to church. Serve when you can. And while you're at it, read your Bible. That's not the verse. Listen, that's kind of easy to pull off. I mean, it's not easy for some of you because this is your once every 10 weeks, and I am glad that you're here today, and I'll see you again in January. But, like, it, I, like I understand at some level it's difficult. Hey, man, reading my Bible, it, it's, it, that actually is difficult. Um, like, serving with what I got going, that's difficult. So I understand that. But, like, compared to what John's about to introduce, this is easy. You could just have a bent toward discipline and get this right and don't actually have to love Jesus. In fact, you have a lot of people that sit in rows and they serve and they read their Bible and, and they're some of the most pharisaical, self-righteous idiots that you've ever met in your life. He's going, listen, that doesn't necessarily lead to love for Jesus. And it doesn't necessarily come out of love for Jesus. You can just be disciplined and you don't need any thunder or any power of the Holy Spirit. And you can just white knuckle that and do it and feel pretty good about yourself. But John's like, Jesus is about to shift the paradigm. And it's all going to change. And it's going to be simple to understand. It's going to be deep. I love how we define deep. It's going to be deep. But it's going to be simple to understand. It's going to be the most difficult thing in the world to actually do. And here's John's answer to how do we get ready for a move of God. John answered, the man with two tunics, two shirts, should share with him who has none. No, no, John, I don't think you uh, I answered our question or understood what we were asking. We're asking, like, what do we do to get ready for a move of God? I know, take your shirt off. No, 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 you don't understand what I'm at. How do we get prepared for revival? What's the recipe for revival? How does God move? You share with those who are in need when you have more than you need. It's evidence for what God is doing in your heart. No, 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 that's not my question. We want to know what to do. Shh. I'm telling you what to do. This is the essence. This is the outflow of what God actually wants to do in your heart. I want you to, I want you to be generous. 
I want, you're sitting at the fire, you got two pairs of gloves on, I want you to give one of those gloves away. And that's a reference to Dumb and Dumber with Jeff Daniels and Jim Carrey that nobody got. But like, I want you to, I want you to give that away. I cannot read this passage without thinking of that. I'm sorry. So, and then he says this, and the one who has food, they should do the same. Now, we don't get this in our context, specifically here in the West. Somebody may be listening to a different area that you may totally relate with this at a different level. But those who are in this room, um, in both of these rooms, podcasting, like you're going to drive by more food today than they would see in a lifetime. And they couldn't keep food. Food was scarce, so they didn't know where the next meal was coming from. There was a lot of anxiety over, we're literally getting up today. This is not a Bible verse. This is like, we need daily bread because we can't keep anything. But here was, in context, John the Baptist's point of what Jesus was introducing. If you really want to see a move of God, it starts with the area that is perceived most scarce in the area that fights for your devotion, your affection, your heart, your perceived security over the future more than anything else. Because that place is where Jesus is inviting you, I want your devotion. I don't want that thing to have your devotion. For us, it's money. Throughout the, the New Testament, Jesus talks about money and sex more than anything else. So the two areas we ignore the most of Jesus' teachings. And over and over he goes, listen, money is an issue of, like it was food in the first century. It's an issue of, in your mind, scarcity. It's an issue of security. I'm going to save my way to safety. I'm going to save my way to security. It's an area that competes for your affection and your devotion. And Jesus is like, trust me, I don't need your money. I made the universe, but I do want your heart. I do want your devotion. I do want your life to be a living sacrifice. And when you are willing to surrender the thing that competes for your devotion the most, that is an invitation for me to bring power and do something through you that would not happen any other way. And the issue on the outflow of that is this. Jesus is shifting everything as John's starting to prepare the way. Listen, John's like, this is what it's about. You thought it was all this. It's why you could feel like you were great with God and treat people like crap to your right and left. Because you could read your Bible and you could pray and you could go to the temple and your goat sacrifice was on point and you could do all the things that you were supposed to. Some of you have memorized the Torah and then you could treat people badly to your right and to your left. And now Jesus is changing everything. I want you to love your enemy. I want you to do good for those who won't do good for you. I want you to have your measure of the vertical relationship with Jesus borne out in the horizontal because I have commanded you to love the way that I have loved you. And this is where it all comes down to what it means to actually actually grow in maturity and relationship with Jesus. It is going to be reflected in your relationships. And Jesus is like, don't tell me you love me and then you treat my kids in a way that doesn't honor me. You cannot be cool with me and not be cool with one of my kids. And so if you want to know where you're at vertically, it's going to be borne out by where you're at horizontally. You're going to be generous to those around you, both physically and both spiritually. It is the mark of what God is doing in your life. It is how you love me the way that I have loved you. You don't do it solely through a reading plan in a community group. You do it by putting action to it and surrendering the thing that is closest to your heart to go, God, I'm trusting you even down to my money. And I want to love other people around me the way that you have loved me. And it's easy to talk about it and formulate questions in a small group. It is much more difficult when I've got to give my stuff in a way that makes me a little bit insecure, but I am offering me to you because I do not want to live my life without experience God's thunder moving on my behalf. And can I just tell you this real quick? If you're a 20-something, 
the two areas that are going to determine how far you're going to go and what God wants to do with your life are the areas of sexuality and money. Not because like somehow they're, they're greater than every other area of your life. It's because they are, if you've ever heard this, tomb, this, this term keystone habits, they're catalytic areas of your life, that when you get those things right, they seem to have a ripple effect into every other area of your life. Because they are the areas that are hardest to surrender. And if you're a 20-something going, God, I want you to move, and I want to see your power and your might in my life. You need to begin now. I'm surrendering my sexuality to you when nobody else around me is doing it. And I'm going to begin now to surrender my money to you because I'm telling you, even if, if you're making $9.95, when you begin to be faithful in little, God will give you more. It is time over time faithfulness to God. And I just want to encourage you. We have a bunch of young people in our churches that God wants to do incredible things for, through. And what I would tell you is serve, begin to get in the scriptures, begin to get accountability and leadership, and pay attention to those two areas. What are you doing with sex and sexuality, and what are you doing with your money? It will shape the trajectory of what God wants to do in your life in a decade. And then I got to move, but then this is so surprising to them. John's like, in Luke's writing, tax collectors also came to be baptized. And all the Jews around are like, are, are, are you kidding me? And John's like, well, wait till Jesus shows up. This is nothing. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? And everybody around like are going, no, no, they can't do anything. They're tax collectors. They're thugs. They're driving Aston Martins and $500 kicks because they stole from people. Like they're traitors. That's how they were viewed in the first century. I can't give strong enough language to how tax collectors were viewed. In fact, in the scriptures, it says sinners and tax collectors because sinners did not want to be included with tax collectors. Like we're sinners, but we're not tax collectors. Like they were their own category. And so they're like, no, 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 they can't be invited in, but they're included for a reason. This is a setup for what Jesus is about to do. Nobody is too far gone. Anybody at any point can do this. God, I surrender. I want to offer my life as a living sacrifice. I just want to tell you this today because I know that this is a part of our crowd every week. It's a part of our radio audience and podcast in a big way. I know that you feel like the walls are going to crumble in when you walk in. I know you feel like your past is too bad. I hear it every single week. And as you look at the New Testament and Jesus inviting prostitutes and thugs and tax collectors and Zacchaeus in a tree going, I want to come to your house and I want to have a relationship with you. If Jesus physically were to show up today, he would like you. And he would like you because you're made in the image of God. And he does not see your past. He sees your future. If you would be willing to surrender to him. And come on, Jesus, unlike us and unlike our churches a lot of times, spent his entire life moving in the direction of people we spend our entire life trying to avoid. And so they're like, no, no, the tax collectors are wondering what they need to do. In verse 13, John's like, don't collect any more than you're required to. And that's going to be evidence of what God's going to do and is doing in your life. And they're like, are you serious? That's why we got into this, to collect more than, to make bank off the backs of Jewish people. Like, that's, that's why we're, we're, we're doing this. And John's in essence like, no, no, I get it. But I want you to do what is just, not what you can justify. 2,000 years later, Hey, I know you can get away with that. I know everybody else is doing that. I know everybody else is handling their life and their money that way. I know that, you know, nobody's going to call you on that, but I, there's a new standard in following Jesus. I want you to do what's just, not what you can justify. 
And so then some soldiers, so these are like temple guards or Romans, like uh, these are, again, these are hated among many. And they asked him, what, what do we do? Like, how do we get in on this? And John replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely and be content with your pay. And again, they're like, I don't know if you heard the question. We want to get ready for a move of God. He's like, that's it. What you do with other people, once you embrace the message of what Jesus is going to offer, that's going to tell you everything about what God is doing in your life. So if you want to exhibit a heart that is ready for God, it all comes down to surrendering everything in your life. And the areas that are hardest to surrender are the areas around generosity and justice. So hey, you want to get ready, Roman soldier, you want to get ready, tax collectors, 2,000 years later, center point, you want to get ready for what God wants to do, you begin to move in the direction of what Jesus has done and said, and you embrace the good news of the gospel that he died, that he rose, he accomplished everything for you, and the evidence of whether you're getting it is simply this, I want you to be generous and I want you to be just. I want you to be generous and I want you to be just. I want you to be generous and I want you to be just. I want you to be generous when they do not deserve generosity. I want you to be just when they do not deserve your justice. I want you to move in the direction of the marginalized and the hurting or the religious or they feel like they have it all together but they need Jesus and I want you to give them spiritual life. I want you to do everything to invest. I want you to go into the community and I want you to reach real physical needs but this is the mark of whether you're just playing a game and sitting in a row and patting yourself on the back and singing songs. I want you to be generous and I want you to be just. And at this point, everybody's asking John, like, John, are you actually the guy? Because this is pretty compelling. Are you the Messiah? And John's like, he answered them in verse 16, no, 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 I baptize with water. But one more powerful, the thunder, is coming. One more powerful than I will come in thongs of whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. And his name is Jesus. And then Jesus arrived on the scene. And I loved it because John set the way really, really powerfully because they watched what Jesus did and it lined up with what John said because they watched Jesus tell stories about a man who's the victim of racism helping a man who's the victim of a crime. And I wish I could amp this up. It would probably offend you if I really put it into first century context. So I'm not even going to do it or into our context. But they, in, in this scenario of the Good Samaritan, even Good Samaritan was so offensive. And they listened to the story. And the people who listened to it, like, no, no, this guy who's a victim of racism is going to help this guy who's a victim of crime. Is anybody going to do that in our culture? We don't do that. That's not even allowed. Those individuals are like half people. They're not, they're, we don't even see them as full people. Would anybody do that? That And Jesus is like, yes, because I'm about to create a paradigm shifting movement where the people who have been so hurt, the people who've been victim of racism, the people who've been marginalized are going to be willing to help others who are a victim of crime, even when they don't deserve it, even when that individual hates them, because a new ethic is going to be born on planet Earth wrapped in Jesus that I want you to love the way that I've loved you. And I'm going to demonstrate how far I'm going to go. It's going to be all the way to the cross. And now I want you to love your enemy. I want you to pray for those who persecute you. I want you to move toward the marginalized. I want you to love people that nobody else loves. I want you to move in the direction of somebody who offends you, seeing it as an opportunity to be God to that person. And Jesus is like, yes, they will do that because I'm introducing something brand new to the world that's going to change everything. In the first century, they believed it and they did it and everything began to change. 
They gave out of their poverty to plant these churches all over the Mediterranean rim going, people got to know this message. I know we don't have a lot, but people have got to meet Jesus. People have got to know there's forgiveness and reconciliation in life. The church began to be the safest place in the world for women. I, I say this a lot, but women, you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you should consider being a follower of Jesus simply because of how he treated and what he said about women. It was thousands of years ahead of his time and the church is still trying to catch up to empower women, to give women leadership, to give women value and a voice in the local church. But I'm telling you, Jesus was all about it. And in a culture where women were considered less than human beings, the church was the safest place in the world for them because of what Jesus introduced. They would go to these riverbanks, these dung hills, and they would rescue these female babies. And out of the Jesus movement primarily, you can study this, the foster care system began to be birthed because they saw every single individual in the image of God, including women and including kids, when nobody else did in a caste system era. They, they would move in the direction of the poor and the marginalized, and they would give not just their money, but they'd even give their lives. And by the third century, this Jesus movement with no influence and no power and no authority, it upended the Roman Empire. And they never assembled an army. And they never raised a sword. They just took Jesus seriously when he said, I want you to go do this to the world. And when you're willing to give of you and the stuff that is closest to your security, your money, your livelihood, that thing that is so easy to hang on to, I'm telling you, when you are willing to do that at that level, I will bring power and thunder in a way that has the power to change the world, and it did. 25 years later, after Constantine made Christianity a legal religion, a guy by the name of Julian came along and he started building all these Greek and Roman temples and, and he was trying to basically usurp the Jesus movement and somehow stomp it out, which it was too strong, it was too powerful by that point. And I love because he wrote, in this survived antiquity, he wrote this letter to the priests as they're trying to get these new pagan temples going, but they're experiencing so much resistance. And the resistance that they experienced was not around picket signs. It was not around Jesus followers or follow of the way in the first century trying to, you know, I don't know, picket outside of their brand new pagan temples that they need to go away. And uh, they really should have a permit for that in Jerusalem. Instead, this is what the Jesus followers began to do. Here's what Julian wrote to his priest. The impious Galileans support not only their poor, but ours as well. And basically he's writing to his priests to go, we can't win with these guys. We can't overthrow or usurp them because they outlove us. They outgenerosity us. They outlove their enemies us. Then we, we cannot compete and we can't keep up because they took seriously what Jesus said. And the church in a culture where there was so much injustice, people were undervalued. There was so much racism. Women were not people. There was hatred. There was civil war. There was Roman oppression. And in a culture like that, where all of the pagans would go, well, that's just fate. People not being valued, that's just fate. A class system among gods, that's just fate. And it was the church that actually stood up because of Jesus to go, no, no, all world 
worldviews and all cultures are not the same. There is not something more powerful than fate and it's faith. That red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. And this is a multicultural, multiracial, multiethnic, socioeconomically diverse, whatever your religious background is, movement to the world. And it was the Jesus followers to go, we're going to surrender our lives. We're going to surrender our time. We're going to surrender our money. We're going to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. In some cases, we are going to give our lives because the Greek and Roman gods were inspiring the pagans to kill. It was Jesus that was inspiring Jesus followers to go into Colosseums and die. And they would go, we will give everything for the sake of what Jesus has done. And God's going to use it in the lives of other people around us because it's at the heart of his message. I want you to love others the way that I have loved you. There is a superior culture and worldview. It's called faith. Everybody is made in the Imago Dei. And Jesus followers in the church are at the forefront of that movement and that message to the world. And in the first century, it changed the world. And so here's what we're going to do, and I'm going to wind it down. At the end of the year, we do our annual For Our City offering on December the 8th. And what we want to do is we want to meet real physical needs and real spiritual needs in terms of people who need Jesus and do good for those that, whether physically or spiritually, can't do maybe anything good back or do anything in return. And in essence, I would summarize it this way. This is how I'd summarize John, John's words. I want you to provide for those who need provisions. I want you to protect those who need protection. Hey, Jesus followers, if you're serious... If you're ready, if you mean this, I want you to provide for those who need provisions. I want you to protect those who need protection. I want you to provide for those who, they don't just need physical need because come on, is, if all we ever do in this life is meet physical need, we've just filled stomachs for people who are spiritually dead and still need the hope of Jesus. I want you to provide physically and I want you to provide spiritually. And so on December the 8th, we're going to raise $30,000. We up this every year to support our local mission partners and the next generation. And I'll um, break this down in just a second. So here's what we're going to do. You guys with me real quick at both campuses? I'm going to give you some... I'm going to give you some details, and then we're going to wind this down. We're going to raise, of that $30,000, $20,000 is going to be given to our Serve Our City partners. So what we decided as a church early on when we started is that we would come alongside great organizations in our community. We wouldn't compete with them. Because the local church, I think, has been called to cooperate in their city and community. And so we have a liaison out of our church that serves with every partner organization we have. They check in throughout the year. They go, hey, what do you need? How can we serve you? We financially support all of these partners every month as a part of what you're giving goes toward. We have community groups, and this is one reason of many you should be in a community group. We have community groups that adopt one of our partner organizations, and they serve that organization throughout the year. And you never know about it. They don't ever get any fanfare. You often don't see them on the screen, but they're serving in those areas all throughout the year. And so we decided we were going to partner. We weren't going to compete. So we vetted what we feel are the best partner organizations in this area around these main issues, food insecurity, Meaning that's just different from I don't have a meal that literally the anxiety that's created over I don't know where the next meal is going to come from. Food insecurity, foster care, housing, education, jobs program, crisis prevention. That's what most of them surround. And we've gone to all of these partners and we just asked this question. What would make a difference for you? And not just this time of year when everybody's motivated to give, but even to be a catalyst for this next year. What would make a difference for you? And so here's what they told us, and here's how I'm going to break it down. Here's what you can do, 
And then here's what our giving will go towards. So here's what you can do. First of all, we're going to help families at Christmas through Gift of Hope. Um, our CC kids are sponsoring. We're, we're going to give 500 boxes of Jiffy cornbread mix. These are specific numbers and needs that they gave us. And then we as a church are going to collect 350 newer unwrapped toys for newborns ages 2 to 0. And the deadlines are December 1st, December 8th. I'm going to give you a website in just a second. All the information is there. But we're going to do that as a church. I would encourage you to do that as a family with your kids. And then the second thing you can do is this, and I'm so excited about this. One of our partners is Family Promise. Um, they provide housing for homeless for a specific period of time. And then, then during that time, they provide job training, education, rehabilitation. So it's a holistic approach. And churches really are the, the thing that makes it go. And so in December, we're going to house several of those displaced or homeless people on our North Campus site at one of those weeks. And then there's other weeks all throughout the year that are handled by other churches in this area. And so we need volunteers to be a part of that. We're also going to give money toward helping purchase a van there. But we get to be involved directly, not just a, we're going to meet a need in a moment, but where these people are getting education and rehabilitation. And literally, we're using our facility to house homeless in our area to be the hands and feet of Jesus. I think that's pretty cool. So that's what you can do. Now, real quick, and I want you to look at all of this on our website, centerpointfl.org forward slash generosity. It's going to be on our app as well. Just go to the connect link and then you'll see it right there. So you can, I want you to go to some of these partners and actually read about them. That, I would love that. But here's my like 45 second, here's where all of the money, that first $20,000 is going to go. Uh, first to Lifehouse Ministries, we're going to help fund um, a learning campus in Ybor City for adult education and jobs for life program. Life Care, which is crisis pregnancy and care. They are in need of baby clothes. We're going to purchase those um, for the Life Care uh, Pregnancy Center. Amazing Love. We're actually going to buy equipment that they need. They specifically gave us to help better feed the homeless. So there's some things that they need um, that we're going to purchase with that money. Um, Echo, they need a fridge as well as several other things that we're going to buy for them. The Tampa Port Authority, you should go check out this ministry. They minister to seafarers um, in downtown, and it is an incredible ministry where they've seen so many seafarers who are out at sea all year round come to know Christ as Savior. It's an amazing, amazing ministry. One of our elders, um, Al, is on the board of that ministry. We're going to uh, buy some tables and chairs that are going to help them better minister um, to those individuals there. Um, at the port. Portamento of Hope, they're just in need of food. We're going to buy a bunch of food for them. Um, Impact Ministries toward, they reach about 10,000 students during a school year in our local area. We're going to help uh, fund a summer program. And then Valrico Elementary, um, which is one of our partners right down the street. We volunteer. We do drives for them. We're going to help um, as they have a goal for a learning center. They're underfunded. And so that's a big need. Hey, we can pay for that for you. And so as you give the first $20,000 or two-thirds of whatever we bring in is all going to meet all of those needs every single dollar of what they've said, we need this to happen. And then if you get crazy and get a little bit too generous, we've got other projects waiting in the wings where we're going to give money away. So that's what your actual financial giving is going to go toward. So if you want to put your hands together, you can do that. And then the other 10,000 is going to be given to our CC Kids ministry. We always, um, or we've begun 
really focusing on a local church. Here's where we need some funds to move the gospel forward. Um, you guys have been so generous that we launched this campus in April um, with a goal to be funded month to month by August. Usually it takes about two years with the new campus. You did that by June. So we are financially responsible. We are in a great place. This has nothing to do with day-to-day operations. It has everything to do with meeting our partners' needs and then some over and above projects where we can actually help better create environments for our kids. And so here's what we want to do. Upgrade the production and large group space. Upgrade check-in and check-out technology. That means nothing to some of you. If you're a parent of a toddler, it means everything to you. Um, Upgrade elementary, preschool, small group environments. And I'll just be straight with you. I am very selfish as it comes to this stuff. Because when we decided to plant Centerpoint Church, I wanted to uh, plant and create a church that ultimately my kids were going to love. And it's selfish because I think a lot about my kids, but what I know is if they love it, a lot of other kids are going to love it. And I ultimately want my kids to know that God has a very specific will for their life. I want my kids to know that they have extraordinary worth in Jesus and they don't need to go find that worth anywhere else. I want them to know that they have a God who loves them and died for them even when they get to 22 and make some decisions that are off the rails. I want them to leave at 18 to go to a university and they not only love Jesus, but they love the local church. And I spend a lot of time thinking about that. I have a little jar that sits on my, my desk at home and it's got a little tag on it with 934 marbles in it, or it did. And the 934 marbles are from, um, I forget, nursery age all the way up to 18. It's the number of weeks that I have with my kids. And I started this with my older girl, Brooke, that I have 934 of these. As a church, if we got a kid from when they're coming into nursery all the way till they graduate from our Velocity program, we get 934 weekends with them. And I'll just tell you, it's a partnership you got you to gotta be interacting at home, but I'm just going to tell you, and I say this without blinking an eye, because I've seen it, I grew up with it, I watch it year after year, that what happens on the weekends with your kids is a catalyst for what happens at home. And it has a massive impact on the future of their following Jesus. And some of you don't believe that, and it's why it's not more of a priority to you, but I'm just telling you, if it's a solid church where Jesus is at the center, what happens on the weekend has a tremendous impact in their life. And I will do anything possible to create irresistible environments where my kids not only love Jesus, but my kids love the local church. Because if I've done that by the time they're 18, I've won as a parent. I don't care what their career is. I don't care where they go to school. I don't care what scholarship they get. And I care about all of that. I want them to love Jesus and I want them to love the local church. And I think as a church, we need to invest everything that we can into that, including our money. Because our next generation matters with what God wants to do. And so we're gonna raise $30,000, 20,000 to our partners, 10,000 um, to upgrade our CC Kids environment. Last year, you raised $23,000. And that money we gave all away. So this year we've upped the goal. I think it's a conservative goal. I think we could do much more than that, but I just wanna end with this. We have got to do this. And don't tune me out because we're talking about generosity. I think the next couple weeks, and I say this with all humility, may change some of your lives and families. You need to be back. You need to hear what Jesus teaches around this subject. I think it could be a catalyst for so much in your life, but come on, we have to do this. Philippians 2.15, When you begin to be generous, you will shine among the world and culture like stars in the sky. 
in a culture so self-focused all about now, God, we're gonna give our lives away. We're gonna give our money away. We're gonna be generous to those who will never be generous back. We want what we say about our relationship to you to actually be born out in what we do. And people ultimately make it to the edges of our communities to go, your theology is crazy. And come on, if you haven't embraced Jesus on the front end, it's a little crazy. But man, those people love. Man, those people are generous. Man, those people will do anything to move me in, to be a part of their gathering. To go, we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. And I'm telling you, unbridled, no strings attached generosity has the power to change things in your home, in our city, in our neighborhood, in our world more than anything else does. And the reason we're doing it is this, because everybody matters to God, whether God matters to them or not. And our for our sitting offering, we are gonna do for others what God has done for us. And last thing, yeah, but I mean, in the, in the grand scheme of things, does it really matter? Yeah, does it work? Yeah, but can I just say this? Let's raise the bar a little higher. We're not even giving because it works. Ultimately, as big a deal as it is, we're not even giving because of what it'll do. We're not, we're not giving simply because it's gonna work. Come on, Jesus came to offer you salvation and it still hasn't worked. Some of you are still a mess. Some of you are still stiff arming God. Some of you are still kind of, I'm not sure if I wanna go all in with you and yet, God will never retract his offer to you because he came and he died for you at your worst. And honestly, that's the catalyst. When you begin to understand that it changes everything to go, I can't believe that you would love me. You'd be faithful to me. You'd forgive me. You'd continue to track with me. You wouldn't give up on me on that night or in that hotel room or clicking on that, that you have been faithful every step of the way. And because of that, I want to offer my life to you. And come on, it is the best expression of the relationship of your heavenly father to you because God gave to us. And so like father, like daughter, your heavenly father gave up his son, his son Jesus gave up his life. And now he's like, listen, if you're gonna be a movement that honors me in your generation, if you're gonna be a Jesus father that honors me in your generation, if you're gonna be ready to give what I have given through your veins and through your life and the stewardship I've placed in your hands so that I can bring the thunder, it is sacrificing for the sake of people who can never, ever pay you back. And unbridled, no strings attached generosity, I'm telling you, it ignites movements. Because when God has your devotion and God has your heart and God has your generosity, and you're serious about the one thing that he said that you should never forget in that upper room the night before he was crucified, when you do that is an invitation for God to go, I am about to move on your behalf. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.